No one's family is perfect. And yet we are called to love people, right? We're called to love all these people and be kind and forgive all the time. So what do we do when we have these people in our lives that are just really hard to love? Like, what do we do? Like, how do we, because it really complicates this Christian thing, doesn't it? When these people in our family that drive us nuts or hurt us or disappoint us, and I know we've all got them, all families do. Everyone, every family has someone that's really hard to love. And if you think your family doesn't have that kind of person, it's probably you. <laughs> no, I'm, really, I'm, I, I'm kidding. But I think the question becomes like, in our families, like what do we do with the alcoholic father and the abusive husband and the uncle that's sexually assaulted and the wife that's unfaithful and the cousin that went to prison and the son that is addicted and like what do we do with that auntie who always criticizes and is into spiritualism and new ageism and we debate every time with that granny who believes this and she doesn't believe that and like what do we do with these people how do we keep our christian and be in family and for those of you who might be looking at me thinking well what would he know he's probably got the perfect family let me guarantee you like, I'll take a bet. <laughs> like, my family is really complicated. I mean, just I'll just give you, like, the highlights. Like, I've had a stepdad. I've had two stepmothers. My current stepmother is two years younger than my older sister. Which means my little brothers and sisters are younger than my children. So my children are older than their uncles. My family has experienced a lot of divorce on both sides. My sister's unfortunately gone through the pain of divorce. My brother-in-laws, my sister-in-laws, eventually my sister married my brother-in-law. And so now we're brother and sister married to brother and sister. And so everyone's uncles are also cousins. I don't know. But I want to tell you, I get it. I get it. Families are like complicated to figure out. And sometimes we just don't know, like, how do I like keep my Christian? Like, how do I keep being loving and understanding? What should I do with these people? And does scripture give me like any advice? Because really, how would Jesus even relate to this? Maybe Jesus tells me to love people because he didn't have anyone difficult in his family. Maybe if he was in my family, he wouldn't tell me to do that. Like, what would Jesus know? Like, how would he relate to this? And yet, something we're going to find out is that Jesus' family wasn't perfect either. Because guess what? There is no such thing as a perfect family. Your family's not perfect. My family's not perfect. But we have been called to be Christians and children of God in these families. And I really think Scripture gives us great advice on how to do that well. In fact, there's a portion of Scripture that I found in Mark 3 that for me is so encouraging as someone in a family. And I think it really shows us a glimpse into Jesus' family and shows us that Jesus' family, it had its issues and complications. In fact, maybe a little bit more complicated than you would expect, maybe more than even yours. We're going to find this story in the book of Mark, chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, I'd love you to join me there. And we're going to see in verse 20, this is what's happening. It says, Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. 
Okay, Mark is showing us here how popular Jesus was. He's like at the height of his popularity. Have you ever been so busy that you can't take lunch? Anyone? Right, now you're busy and hangry. Like not a fun thing. Jesus and the disciples, the people are so demanding, they're not even giving them a break. They're so busy, they can't even eat. Right, and so here Jesus is, people are pulling from him and demanding and wanting stuff. And so he's got this crowd, he's in his ministry, he's popular. And it's in this scenario that his family enters the story. And we see this in verse 21. It says, when, he heard, when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he's out of his mind. Your family ever called you crazy? Well, they put you in good company with Jesus, right? He's out of his mind. When it says his family heard about this, what, what did his family just hear about? Well, there's a few possibilities. Perhaps his family was concerned about him because they heard that he's so busy he's not even eating. And that he must have just, he's like crazy busy. Like he's out of his mind, he's not taking care of himself. And so perhaps the family went to go get Jesus to stage an intervention. Like this man needs help. We need to help him, right? We need to get him. He's not taking care of himself. Perhaps out of their good concern, they were trying to stop Jesus from doing the will of God. And it tells us something important about our families is sometimes church, out of their good intentions and their sincere concern, they can actually try and get you to stop doing the will of God. Did you know that? Sometimes your family might look at you and say, yeah, I don't know, you're too busy serving God. Why are you in church all the time? No, you can't go to that place on that mission trip. It's too dangerous. Right? Why are you fasting? Don't fast. You've got to eat three meals a day. What's this fasting nonsense? And out of sincere concern for you, just like Jesus' family, your family might even try and take you out of God's will. But maybe there's a little bit more going on than just innocent concern for Jesus. Because when you read this in context in Mark 3, there's a lot of things happening. In fact, we see Jesus' ministry becomes radical. Jesus is healing people, but not only is he healing people, he's casting out demons. Now, this to the Jewish leaders, I tell you guys, this was radical. I mean, they'd never seen anything like this. This really challenged them. They'd never seen this. And just before this in Mark 3, like literally the verse or two before, we see Jesus appointing 12 apostles. And now he gives them the authority to also cast out demons. His family must have thought he's totally lost his mind. And in this culture where family was very, very highly valued and honor was highly valued, what we sense is that his family started getting embarrassed because now Jesus is basically publicly losing his mind. He's publicly going crazy and everyone knows, like, he's our family member. We better go and get him. And so it says in scripture that they go and take charge. Everyone say, take charge. This is a Greek word, kreatio, and it actually means to arrest. So they went to forcibly remove Jesus from his position. They were literally staging an intervention. This guy has gone out of his mind. And so something we learn right off the bat about families is this. Just because God is using you doesn't mean your family will get it. Doesn't mean they'll always understand. Doesn't mean they'll always be supportive or always in agreement. Even when you are in the perfect will of God, sometimes that can even cause family conflict. It certainly happened with Jesus Christ. It can happen to you. 
Your family's not always going to understand. I mean, I don't know if you realize this, but none of Jesus' brothers and sisters, from what we can see in Scripture, ever followed him, ever supported him. They, in fact, only supported him after the resurrection. Jesus literally had to die and break the laws of science and nature and be raised from the dead to get their attention and for them to actually believe. He had no public support, no support from his brothers and sisters. Do you, do you understand the rejection of that? In fact, we find this glimpse, just read this in John 7. It says, Jesus' brother said to him, Leave Galilee, Galilee, go to Judea, so that your disciples may see the work that you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. And since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. Verse 5, very important. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Even his own brothers. Imagine this thing. I mean, you've got these crowds following you. You have these disciples that have laid down their lives to you, but your own family won't pay attention to you. Your own family doesn't give you the lot of that. Your own family doesn't even believe what you're selling, what you're saying. And now they come to a public gathering to arrest you. And now everyone at that gathering knows that not even your brothers and sisters believe you, man. Not even they buy what you're selling. Not even they are buying into this message. Can you imagine the rejection and humiliation of that moment? Jesus had to be raised from the dead to get any support from his own family. And let's be honest, it probably is what it would take, right? For you to believe that your brother or sister was actually the Messiah. Actually, maybe some of you have issues with your brother or your sister because they acted like they were the Messiah, right? In fact, if you, I find this to be one of the strongest evidences for, for Jesus Christ truly being the Son of God is that eventually his brothers and sisters actually did follow him. If you've ever doubted that Jesus is real or that he's truly the Messiah, just go read the book of James written by the brother of Jesus and you realize that the brother of Jesus believes that he is truly the son of God, that's like all the evidence I need. If he could win his brother over, he truly must be the son of God. Because what would it take, guys, for you to believe that about your brother or your sister? That's real evidence here. But it wasn't always like that. Jesus didn't always have the support of his family. And so he knows what it's like. He knows what it's like when those that you grew up with end up rejecting you. He knows what it's like to be disappointed by those family members. Here, Jesus is speaking the truth, and yet they're calling him crazy. They're saying that he's insane. They're trying to arrest him in front of a massive crowd. And guys, maybe you've had the same from your family. Maybe they're just not there to support you. You feel like they're never there to build you up in your success. They, they never cheer you on. Like, like they don't even phone you on your birthday. Like they never invited you to even a Christmas meal. Like they never like, like your photos on, on Facebook. Like they're, they're just those kind of people. Like you feel like there's no support from you. They don't even care about us. And it's hurt you. That rejection has hurt you. Well, if you have ever experienced that, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take it to Jesus. Because he truly does understand. Everyone say, take it to Jesus. In fact, I don't know if there's anyone who understands more than him. 
what the pain of family rejection feels like. Guys, do you know that even at the cross, his family wasn't there, his brothers and sisters, only his mother. Even at the cross, imagine, imagine being publicly arrested and persecuted and put on trial and dragged to your death and your siblings don't even show enough concern to be there. They don't even show enough concern just for their mother to be there. In fact, at the cross, Jesus had to hand his mother the responsibility because he was the oldest son. He had to hand that responsibility over not to one of his siblings, but instead to a disciple because his brothers were a no-show. Look at what happens here in the book of John chapter 19. It says in verse 26, here Jesus is hanging on the cross. It says when he saw his mother there, the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. This is a mother who had other sons. And he said to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. Listen to that. Imagine being publicly executed and your family doesn't even care enough to come say goodbye. That's the kind of relationship that Jesus has. He knows full well the sting and the pain of being disappointed in your family members. He knows full well what rejection feels like. I guarantee it. And so when you are facing these emotions, don't try to figure out on your own. Don't, don't think that Jesus doesn't get it. He gets it. Take it to Jesus. He is the best one to provide you comfort because he understands that pain. He's the best one to give you counsel, to give you wisdom, to give you strategy, to show you what to do next because he's lived it. He's been there. He was rejected to the extreme by those he called family. And if you felt that as well, maybe you and I can do the same. We can live like Jesus. Go to Jesus. So this family comes to the house in order to take charge of Jesus, to arrest him because they think he's gone crazy. Let's see what happens next in Mark 3, verse 22. As the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he's possessed by Bezebubal, by the prince of demons. He's driving out demons. So Jesus called them over to him and he began to speak to them in parables. And he says, how does Satan drive out Satan? If the kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end will come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder that strong man's house. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin, he says. And he said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. I, I want you to stop because I want you to see the full picture that Mark is painting for us. He's showing us that Jesus is at the height of popularity, surrounded by strangers, but his family comes and call him crazy. And just after that, Mark shows us that even the religious leaders disagreed with him. Can you imagine how validating that must have been for his family members? To be like, you see Jesus? Even these rabbis, these religious leaders, the, the most esteemed leaders of our day don't agree with you. Even they, these men who have studied the Torah since they were small, these respected rabbis, not even they think you're doing the work of God. You've truly lost your mind. I mean, the family had the support of the religious leaders who were against Jesus. And maybe you know what that's like to be debating with family members, but they have the thinking of the day on their side. 
And so they're trying to convince you, right? Because they feel validated by the science of this report. And they're like, yeah, this is why evolution really happened. And this is why God doesn't exist. And, and this is why the Bible isn't real, right? And so you feel like, hey, they, they're validated by all these voices in the world. That's how Jesus was in that church. I want to say, we've got to get ready for more of that as a church. Because I think more is coming. As the world moves away from reason towards feeling we have to realize, man, we're going to be having these debates all the time with people who are on the other side, and it's going to feel like the world is validating what they say. Because now we have to like defend things like gender and just being a man and a woman, and you can identify as whatever you want to be. It's like, great, you're going to have people with completely different religious beliefs, social beliefs, moral beliefs, right? And they're going to be validated by the voices of this, this day. And they're going to be able to look to those reports and to those things and that on the news and say, see, I'm right, you're wrong. This is what Jesus was experiencing. And I think you and I have to get ready that as the world moves further and further and further away from the truth of God's word, these are conversations we're going to be having a lot of as Christians. We're going to be in this exact same position as Jesus Christ trying to back up the truth. And we're talking truth and people look and say, you're crazy just like they did with Jesus Christ. His own family did this to him. And in the midst of all of this, Jesus issues a stern warning. This warning has nothing to do with family, but because it's here, I think we need to talk about it. I don't want to move past this. Let's sidetrack for a moment. Jesus gives probably the most stern warning in all of the New Testament, and he tells us about something called the unforgivable sin which is known as the bless, blaspheming the Holy Spirit, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. What is that? I think we better know what that is because none of us want to do it, right? So what is it? We better be clear on what this is. It's a warning for us in the New Testament. Well, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, we can see clearly in the word, is when you call the work of God a work of Satan. When you look at something that God has done, the Holy Spirit has done supernaturally by His power. When you look at that and you say, oh, that's the devil working right there. You have blasphemed the Holy Spirit and Jesus says, that's an unforgivable sin. Do not do it. And so church, I just want to warn you, right? The body of Christ is very diverse. And you might at some point go to another part of the body. You might go to that conference or that church and you might see things done that seem just kind of weird to you because you're not used to that. You might see things done that you don't understand, that you don't relate to, that you have no experience of. Be very careful of looking at what you see and saying, no, 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 that's not God, that's the devil. Because what you're doing in that moment is you're blaspheming the Holy Spirit if it is, in, in fact, the work of God. I want to say that God is God and he can do what he wants and he can operate as he wants and where he wants and how he wants and you are not God and it doesn't have to make sense to you because he's God. And sometimes God works in very weird ways and very mysterious ways and it's okay, it's not for you to judge. And if what is happening is not of God, that's going to be really on the leadership who's allowed it to happen, it's not on you. So this is what I've done. When I've gone to places and seen things in churches or conferences and I'm like, ooh, I don't know about this. You know what I've learned? To do this. Keep quiet. Keep quiet. Just because you don't understand it or you're not relating to it does not mean it's a work of the devil. Don't find yourself in the same trap that these religious leaders find themselves where they're so sure that is not the work of God. And it was the work of God. And they blessed him the Spirit. 
It's the unforgivable sin. And so here we have Jesus, and I love his boldness, right? His families come against him. These religious leaders are coming against him. But instead of backing down, he warns him. He stands so firm, so firm on the truth. And so if we come back to this text, we see that his family thinks he's lost his mind. These religious leaders are on his side. So what happens next? How does this all get resolved? Does it even get resolved? What does Jesus say to them? Let's look at verse 31. It says, Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone to call him. And a crowd was sitting around him. And they told him, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. I want to pause right there because don't miss what Scripture is telling us, what Mark is telling us, because I find this so revealing. Mark is now telling us specifically which family members came for Jesus. And I think the one that surprises me the most when you think about it, I don't know if it surprises you, is that his mother was there. This is Mary, who's part of the intervention, who thinks that Jesus has lost his mind. Now, why I'm surprised by that is because it's Mary. Come on, she, if there's anyone who knew Jesus was the chosen son of God, the Messiah, she knew. Right? I mean, come on, she was like miraculously made pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. We just celebrated that now with Christmas. She, she heard the angelic voice. She had a literal angel visitation. Like she knew that he was a Messiah, but still from her point of view, Jesus had gone too far. From her point of view, she didn't understand. He had done too much. She could probably see the writing on the wall that people were rallying against him. She was probably very concerned about his safety. She's like, Jesus, you're going crazy with this stuff. You're going too far. Have you ever thought, have you ever had your family members thought you've, like, you're just going to be crazy with Jesus? You're going to be too far? Like, can you just settle down? Can you calm down? Like, even the godly ones. Like, hey, dude, something so radical. Like, Jesus is having this moment. And so even Mary looks at him and says, Jesus, you need to come with us. This has gone too far. And then Jesus responds in verse 33. And he says, who are my mother and my brothers? And then what I picture in Jesus just doing this very affectionately, I don't picture him doing this in any mean spirit. It says, he looked at those seated in a circle around him and he said, and I think this is so loving. It says, here are my mother and my brothers. Verse 35, whoever does a will, whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Guys, these words must have hit the audience like a bullet between the eyes. I mean, this was so radical, especially in this Jewish culture that completely valued family. Because what is Jesus doing here? He's literally redefining what family is. And Jesus is teaching that family is not made by faith, but by, but not by through biology, but through faith. Families created through faith, not biology. He's telling us that family, true family, comes from spiritual relationships, not natural or biological relationships. He's telling us that all who believe and do the will of God, they are in fact family, which means, according to Jesus, if we are to believe that the word of God is true, you and I, we're really family. Look at someone and say, hey, family. Okay, I saw some of you look at people that, 
your biological family with, that's not quite the point. Okay, look at someone you're not biologically related to in the eyes and say, hey family. Well done, give yourselves a hand, this is good, this is good. Jesus redefines for us what family is. And he says it's based on a spiritual relationship more than a natural one. Guys, this is how God paints your salvation. He says, your salvation was an adoption. And through that adoption, you became a brand new creation. The old has gone, the new has come, and now your only identity is child of God. And I am the son of the most living God, or I'm the daughter of the most living God. And everyone who identifies with God, everyone who's been adopted becomes my real family. My brother and my sister in Christ, these are my family members now. I'm a new creation. I'm a child of God. You are my real brother and sister. And he's my real father. This is not some airy-fairy concept. It's who we are now. In fact, Jesus would go so far to say that even if you lose biological family members for his sake, you're blessed. Listen to these words. Just turn over a few pages to Mark 10. He says in verse 28, Then Peter spoke up and said, We've left everything to follow you, Jesus. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers and sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with the persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. If you want to believe the Bible, the truth is that your real family is your spiritual family. Not your natural one or your biological one. And now you might find that, like, you might, you might think that in the setting where Jesus is and he's talking about that, you might find, like, Jesus, that's quite harsh. Like, your mother and your brothers, are, they're, like, just waiting outside, like, and you're saying that they're not even your real brother. Like, that's harsh. But actually, guys, when you really sit and think about this concept, that my family now is my Christian brothers and sisters, suddenly it frees you. It frees you to love your natural biological family in a different way. It frees you to love them. Because you know where all our hurt and disappointment comes from? It comes from our expectation of how they should treat me because they're family. And then they let me down. I mean, let me put it like this. We expect certain things from people we call family, right? We expect, we have this high expectation just imagine this line in the sky. This is my expectation of you because you're my family. I expect you to love me and care for me and be concerned and interested in my life. I expect you to phone me on my birthday. You're my family. I expect you to not stab me in the back. I expect you to support me. I expect you to be excited about my successes. Your family, I expect you to be loyal and devoted to me. Your family, I expect you to love me and care for me. Your family. So we have this expectation on everyone we give the label family to and then what do we get instead of this expectation we get reality it's down here you don't love me all the time you're not always nice to me you don't really care about my life you don't even pay attention to me you neglect me you've spoken bad about me you've ganged up against me you've you've shared untrue truths about my life you've 
gossiped about me and lied about me and you've hurt my kids and you've abused me. And, and so what do we have? We've got this massive gap, don't we, between this expectation and reality. And anytime you have a gap between expectation and reality, this gap we call hurt, this gap we call rejection, disappointment, irritation, frustration, all the hurt from family relationships come from this gap between what I expected of you and what you gave me. But here's the truth, and it's beautiful. When you start to see what Jesus was saying, church, you get to set the expectation. You are in full control of this top bar. So what if you could do this? I'm going to pull this down. I'm going to pull my expectation down to reality. And I want to expect reality from you. And now I'm going to love you for who you truly are. This is how Jesus wants you to love people, by the way. I'm going to love you, not for your potential, not for who you could be, not for who you have been on your best day. No, no, no. I'm going to love you warts and all. With your flaws, with your cracks, with your oddities, with your nonsense, with your sin, just as you are like that. I'm not going to expect any improvement. I'm just going to love you for who you truly are. And suddenly my expectation meets reality. There's no longer this big divide all the time. And I can truly love you because I can take off this label that you must be family. So you must do that. No, no, you're a child of God. You've got a new family. Those are just people in your life you've got to love well. And love them for who they really are because that's how God loves you and it's how he wants you to love each other. Let me make this practical. Let's say you've got this auntie and she always criticizes. She's never nice. She always complains about everything. And you're going to this family function and you're like, oh, I don't even want to see this auntie anymore. Anyone got an auntie like that? Just, you know, yeah. Okay, put the hands up. So you go to this family function, and guess what? Your auntie's mean, and she criticizes you, and she's ugly, and she says nothing nice about your kids, and you leave, and now you're hurt because you put this expectation that maybe this time she can be nice. She's family. Like, you can't this time, like, surely, when's she going to change? When's she going to grow up? When's she going to stop hurting us? So you leave in the family, you're driving your car, you're just miserable. Ugh! Right? Because I thought you would change this time. I expected something more. Well, stop expecting something more and love her for who she is. What if you could go to the event saying, oh, I'm going to love my complaining auntie. And I know when I get there, she's going to say nothing nice about me. And she's going to criticize what I look. And I'm just going to say, oh, I love you, auntie. All right? Oh, okay. Well, what if I could show interest in her life? And, and I'm just going to let every comment just like go off my back. And I'm just going to show her love. I'm going to show her, by the way, what Jesus is like. Because he would love her in spite of her sin, not because of her good behavior. What if you could do that with your alcoholic father? With your abusive uncle? With your child that's addicted? And I know what you're thinking. Oh, I don't want to approve their behavior. This isn't about approving their behavior. This is loving them in spite of their behavior. Church, this is how we should love each other. That I don't need to earn your love. I get it because you're a child of God. In fact, catch these words as Jesus was ending the story. I don't know if you got it. He said in verse 35, whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Wow. Whoever does God's will 
That's my brother and my sister and my mother. What is God's will? It's to love and to love and to love and to love and to love. And so when I'm a family member, part of the family of God, interacting with my biological family, and my, my job is to love and to love and to love. Now I will love you, not because you deserved it, but in response to my father in obedience. Now I will forgive you, not because you changed anything and not because you earned it and not because you deserve it, but I forgive you. Why? In response to my father, because I love my father in obedience to him. Now I will help you, even though you were never there to help me. Why? Not because you deserved it, but in obedience to my father. Now I am a shining light in my family, showing them the love of God, not because they have deserved it or earned it, but in obedience to the Father, I will do my Father's will. That's what it means to be a brother or sister in Christ. That's what it means to be part of this family. I'm going to do the will of my Father. And church, if we could, if we could live like this in our families, man, people would see Jesus. And they'd see Him in you. They'd see the love of God in you. You'd give them a glimpse of eternity. But what's it going to take it's going to mean that every time I feel pain and disappointment and hurt and rejection, I come to Jesus with that. I don't try to deal with that by myself. I come to him and I say, Jesus, help me love the real person, not, not the potential, not who they could be. Just help me love them for who they are. I want, I want to love my, my weird auntie for who she is. I want to love my kid for who he or she is, I want to love this person, my spouse, God, just help me love the real them. You know, if everyone in your life met all of your conditions, how would God ever teach you to love unconditionally? No, there's gaps, there's big gaps, there's big disappointments. Why? So we can go back to God and say, God, you fill this gap and help me love them well. Show them how you love them through me. So church, when you truly start to believe that family comes from faith and not biology, it frees you to love your biological family a little bit differently, to love them well. I don't know what things you've come through with your family in 2022, but I hope that in 2023, we can love our families well, even those who are hard to love, that we can give those things to Jesus. We can adjust our expectations. Let's pray. God, I want to pray for your family. I pray for this church. God, you know all the hurt, and, and I believe there's plenty, Lord. You know every broken relationship and disappointment and sting of rejection, like you know it all, Lord. But I thank you that your word shows us, Jesus, you understand. In fact, for every person, here's what I want you to do. If you are dealing with that at the moment, if you have some pain from your family in your life, I want you to make a fist and just put it in front of you. And I want you to imagine all the pain just going into that fist. All the hurt, all the rejection. Can you put it in there? The frustration, the letdown, the lies, the abuse, the brokenness, the betrayal. Just put it in that fist right now. Just feel it go in there. 
And then when you're ready, I want you to open your hand and give that to Jesus. Say, Jesus, it's yours. This is yours. Please help me through it. Help me face this. I don't want to do this without you, Lord. I want to forgive them. Give me the strength. I want to love them. Not because they've earned it. I just want to love them because you love them. Help me do it. I want to restore relationships. Show me how. Just whatever it is, just give it to Jesus right now. God, I want to pray that you start to give us the eyes that you see people with. Give us your eyes, Lord. Show us who people really are, Lord, so we can adjust our own expectation and love them for who they really are. God, I thank you for this family. Thank you for my brothers and my sisters that are right here with me now. God, help me love this family well. And while I'm growing with them, God, I pray for my natural family, my biological family, God, that I will be a shining light, that I will show them how you love unconditionally, not based on behavior, not based on performance. I thank you, God, that as we do this, people will see you in us, and we want them to, Lord. Show us how to love well in 2023, I pray. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.